If you give yourself to him and accept him as your savior, then sinful as your life may have been, for his sake you are accounted righteous. Christ's character stands in place of your character and you are accepted before God just as if you had never sinned. Steps to Christ, page 62, paragraph 2. God is good and all the time. Good evening, everyone. We thank God for bringing us safely through the rain. I was telling members of the prayer group, when you drive at night, particularly in a strange city, no matter how well you drive in your city, you have to be careful in a strange city. With all the water on the ground, the lights reflected on the water, you, you, you easily get confused. But I thank God he brought us safely. For those who couldn't make it wherever you are, I hope you are connecting online. Let's use the technology that God has given to us the good side of that technology. For those of you online, thank you very much, particularly those who are not Seventh-day Adventists. We're delighted you've joined us. We really are. And we hope and pray that our God will bless you beyond your imagination. I'm sure the pastor has asked, but I need to ask myself, is there anyone present? You are not a Seventh-day Adventist. Can I see your hand? Or may I see your hand? Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Sang, how are you? <laughs> Good to see you. <laughs> Anybody else? <laughs> All right. Who? Oh, yes. How are you? Good to see you again. God bless you. God bless you. Say amen. amen. We're few, but say it again. Amen. God is good. And all the time. Do you love God? Yes. Let me see your hand. Ah, God bless you. I mean that sincerely. This may seem like a little insignificant thing, but God loves to be told that we love him. He really does. But let's not say it simply in words. Let us say it in the way we live. Our subject for this evening, dressed for the occasion. What did I say? Dressed for the occasion. What was our subject last night? A level of forgiveness. What was the subject before that? Okay, I couldn't understand what you were saying. Yes, mangoes cannot heal. Aki, okay. Uh, before I jump into the message, please, my constant three requests. If you're not using a phone, turn it off. If you're using it, turn off the sound. And you have been very good with that request. And may the Lord bless you for your cooperation. I really mean that. Thank you. The second favor I ask is that you pray for me while I speak. You cannot pray too much for the person who's preaching. By praying for me, you protect your own mind. Mm -hmm. Because if you say to God, put your words in that man's mouth, that is God's will. Now the Bible says this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according his will, he heareth us. So when you say, Lord, put your words in that man's mouth, God will answer. Then the words I speak will be safe for your mind. So by praying for me, you are protecting yourself. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 9. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. It's a tremendous honor. In Second Samuel 23 verse 2, David said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. When God sent Moses to speak to Pharaoh, God said to him in Exodus 4 verse 12, Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. I want God to do all of that for me, for his glory and for your blessing. 
And favor number three, I want you to think. Thinking is hard work. And so people allow other people to think for them. Bible study is hard work. So it's easy for people to say, tell me. So I don't have to go study, just tell me. And frequently people write me, what does this mean? And I ask, have you studied it? Have you tried? And the answer is usually no. Try, try. Bible study is fellowship with God. And angels. I don't recall if I told you because I speak to so many people. In Daniel 8, when Daniel was given a vision and he could not understand it. In verse 15 of Daniel 8, and it came to pass when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning, then behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Ulai, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. Now we know Jesus said in John 16, 13, Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. That applied New Testament and Old Testament, because he is the spirit of truth. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, Old Testament prophets. And so Daniel had the Holy Spirit. And Gabriel. Somebody say amen. God commanded Gabriel, help Daniel to understand. Why am I saying that? When you embark upon Bible study, God who's no respected persons, if necessary, he will also command Gabriel to help you. And the Holy Spirit is always present. So make an effort to study for yourself before you say, tell me, tell me, tell me. And use that as a shortcut to get around Bible study. Bible study strengthens the mind. It brightens the eye. It sharpens the focus. It, it removes the love for the world. It really does. Just exposing yourself. I always tell people as much as possible, when you seek, come to church. Jesus, you, you're coming into the presence of the healing word. Are you with me? The healing word. The Bible says Jesus walked through certain villages and without necessarily touching anyone, because he passed through the village, people were just healed. Come where the healing word is. Unless you're severely ill, come to church. You will be surprised how much better you feel on the way back home. Well, enough of that. Let's pray. Well, for thinking... Come now, let us reason together, step the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, my request is simple. If I've sinned, forgive me. Accept me as I yield myself to your control. And that yielding is 100%. Possess my mind with which I contemplate spiritual things. I yield to you my memory with which I store spiritual things. I give control of my mouth to you with which I speak spiritual things. Take full control, dear God. Bless those who are listening. A special blessing on all our guests. And a sweet blessing on all the little boys and girls who are watching. Father, now take me, use me, and glorify your name through me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us go to Revelation 14. We shall read from verse 14. Our subject, dressed for the occasion. It is about seven minutes to eight. I'll release you by 8.30. I'm grateful to the organizers for giving me a little extra time tonight. Thank you for that. Did I ask you how was your day? No, I didn't. How was your day? 
All right. Okay. Very good. What book did I say? Revelation, what chapter? 14, reading from verse 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now let's pause, and let's look at what Jesus looked like in that verse. He has on his head a golden crown, and he has in his hand a sharp sickle. What are we to learn from that? Keeping in mind, Revelation is what kind of book? Symbolic book. Also, John was writing to the people of his day. Are you with me? The message is for us, yes. But it was written to them. So he's using language they will understand. Very few people use sickles today, at least in our uh, society. We don't use sickles. In other parts of the world, yes. But overwhelmingly, sickles are not used. A sickle in the Bible suggests what? Give me one word, starts with an H. A harvest, yes. There are 11 usages of the word sickle in the Bible. 11. Each one is connected to harvest in the Old Testament and in the New. Now, it, the word is used seven times in the New Testament, 607 in Revelation 14. And so sickle as a symbol is highly significant in Revelation 14. We have correctly said sickle suggests a harvest. Let's take a look at that. Let's go to Joel chapter 3. We'll read verse 11. Joel, verse 13. Joel chapter 3, verse 13. Our subject, dressed for the occasion. Joel 3, verse 13. The book of Joel. Little book, but a powerful book. You have Joel chapter 3, verse 13. Read with me. What does that say? Put ye in the sickle. Why? For the harvest has come. Come, get ye down for the full, for the fats, for the wickednesses. Yes. Now, read that verse again. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is. Yes. Come, get ye down. For the press is. The fats overflow. Stop. We have the sickle is right. You see that expression? We have the fats are. The press, what? And the fats, yes. So we have three statements. They all mean the same thing. And what they mean is expressed in the last line. What does that say? For there is, yes, yes. And so they've reached a point of ripeness in what? Wickedness. Now, on the other side of that coin, God expects his people to reach a point of ripeness in what? Righteous, uh -huh, blessings upon you. Ripeness in wickedness, ripeness in righteousness. Are you with me? When that happens, that's when God puts in what? The sickle. Let us go to Mark chapter 4. The book of Mark, second gospel, shortest gospel. He wasn't one of the 12 disciples that followed Christ around. As were Mark and John. Mark chapter 4. We'll read 28 and 29, our subject, dressed for the occasion. Book of Mark, 
Do you have that? Read with me. For the earth bringeth fruit of herself. First the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. Now carefully, verse 29, and keep in mind what we read in Joel 3, verse 13, 29. But when the is brought forth immediately. He does what? He putteth in the sickle. Why? For the harvest is come when the fruit is brought forth immediately. Now Jesus is telling a parable of what he himself will do. Because he's the one sitting on that cloud. Are you with me? And so sickle is connected to harvest, but the sickle is not applied until the harvest is ripe. Let's go to Genesis um, 15. God is speaking to Abraham in a vision. We live in verse 13 of Genesis 15. And God tells Abraham that his seed will be stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. Afterward they shall come out with great substance. Verse 16, read for me, what does that say? But in the fourth generation, come on. They shall come hither, why? Because the, uh, the, the, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Now, keeping in mind what we've said, not yet full means not yet ripe. Very good. Blessings upon you. A plus. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And God is telling Abraham, your descendants cannot come into this land because there is still an opportunity for the Amorites to do what? Repent. When they did not repent, God brought in the Israelites like a, like a what? A sickle, yes. He took, get rid of them, wipe them out. He brought in the Israelites like a sickle in his own hand. Are you with me? The, the Israelite nation, they were a sickle in the hand of God to remove the ripe harvest of wickedness. That he may replace the wicked with the righteous. Ah, you didn't get it. You see, Christ is coming back to get rid of the wicked from this earth and replace them, finish my words, with the righteous. And he brought in the Israelites as a weapon in his hand. Get rid of the wicked. And you occupy this land. Because the land given to the Israelites were to be a heaven on earth if they had obeyed God microscopically. And so we go back now. Well, before going back, let's go to Leviticus 16. Our subject, dressed to kill. And don't forget to tell me, I'm oh, sorry, not dress to kill. <laughs> dress for the occasion. <laughs> I thought of dress to kill, but the spirit told me, no, that's too harsh. Use dress for the occasion. But I did think of dress to kill. Would have been appropriate too, but a little tough. All right. What book did I say? Leviticus, what chapter? 16. Let me pray again. Father, as I continue, restrain me and speak clearly through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at how Aaron was supposed to dress as the high priest functioning in the tabernacle. 
And he shall put on the holy linen coat. Read with me. And he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and shall be girded with a linen girdle. Now carefully, now the first, the third, the fourth piece of uh, dress and with a linen mitre, come on, shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his flesh and so put them on. Now, part of the holy garments of the high priest was a linen mitre. Where was the mitre worn? On the head. That's the priest. Are you with me? What did the priest wear on his head? A mitre signifying the priest functioning in his intercessory role. If that's clear, say amen. Now, is Jesus our high priest? Yes or no? But let's look at how he's dressed in Revelation 14. 14. Go back there with me. Revelation, thank you. Revelation 14. 14. Do you have that? I'm waiting for the rest of you who are a little slow on this rainy night. Okay, do you have Revelation 14, 14? Read with me. And I looked and behold a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat like under the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown. Stop. Now we said Christ is the high priest, yes. But the three big offices Christ occupies, he was prophet. What is he now? And he's coming back as? Mm-hmm. He's wearing a crown. When he comes, he's coming as what? Not as? Mm-hmm. And when he left this earth, he ceased to be a prophet. Listen to me carefully. Well, listen to the Bible. When Christ comes back, he is not wearing a mitre. He is not a priest. Which puts, <laughs> there are churches who tell you when Christ comes, there'll be a period of time for people to repent. Mm-mm. He is not coming as a priest. As a matter of fact, let us briefly look at the book of Revelation. It has several messages to the churches, chapter 2, chapter 3. We see it at the altar of God, chapter 4 and chapter 5. We see it at the seven seals, chapter 6, uh, chapter 7. We have the nations who will be uh, sealed and they're secure. Then we have 8, the seventh seal. Then we have uh, 9 and 10, the little angel with a little book in his hand, or the angel with a little book. Uh, we have 11, the two witnesses who are abuse and then they rise to heaven we have 12 the war in heaven we have 13 the leopard like beast which is an associate of the dragon and the second half of 13 we have the the, uh, the sea beast who is also an agent of the devil so we have the dragon chapter 12 two beasts in chapter 13 three satanic agencies they are the opposite to the, the trinity of god are you following me and i'm going a little quickly now chapter 14 chapter 13 stresses worship Look at verse 4, worship, worship. Look at verse uh, 15, worship. Look at verse 8, worship, worship, worship. But not worship God. So in 14, the first five verses, we have a view of the saved in heaven on the sea of glass. Now, from verse 6, we have another call to worship. This time, worship him that made heaven and earth, the seas and the fountains of waters. In chapter 13, all four references of worship had to do with earthly institutions. In 14, 6 to 12, we have worship of God, or 14, 6 and 7, worship the God of heaven and earth, the one who made the sea and the fountains of waters. Now, 
after that third message is given, the three of them, the first one, six and seven, the second message, verse eight, and the third message, nine to 12, after those are given, then John sees Christ coming on the cloud. This is the second coming, which means the messages of Revelation 14, 6 through 12, are the final messages of warning for this earth. Now, the third angel's message uh, uh, is uh, intensified in Revelation 18, 1 to 5, which is called the loud cry. That cry is for God's people who are in Babylon. Come out. Are you following me? That cry is to call God's people out of Babylon. Jesus said 2,000 years earlier, Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. Jesus is a sheep stealer. Maybe not stealer is the word, but you know what I mean. Churches don't like sheep stealing. Christ is coming for your sheep. If those sheep are worshiping in a spiritually dangerous environment, because where worship is not combined with obedience, God does not accept it. Amen. And so there's this cry called the loud cry, Revelation 18, 1 through 5, which is really an enlargement of the third angel's message, and it is empowered by the latter rain, which will really set the world off, foaming at the mouth with anger, and will try to destroy those who preach that message. And so we have Christ coming now on verse 14, or in verse 14 of Revelation 14. All messages have been given. And Christ is coming back. Why? Because the harvest uh-huh, is ripe. What does that mean? The earth is split into two. It really has always been split into two. Obey and disobey, but it will be as clear as day in the last days. Let's see how the world is split into two. We'll read from 14 and continue all the way down to the end of chapter 14. The Bible says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud, one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Verse 15 says, And another angel came out of the, crying with a loud cry to him that, and said what thrust in thy sickle and reap why time is come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe we have the word ripe again verse 16 and he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped verse 17 and another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven he also having a sharp sickle 18 and another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle saying what thrust in the sharp sickle and gather the customs of the vine of the earth for her grapes are we have ripe again we have two harvests have you observed that in verse 15 and 16 the angel in 15 says reap and in 16 he thrusts in his sickle and he reaps now in 1819 another angel says gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe the angel thrusts in his sharp sickle, harvests that uh, cuts down that harvest, but they end up two different places. In 19 and 20, that harvest ends up in the great winepress of the wrath of God. Then, what is that harvest that ends up with the wrath of God? 
The earth is divided into two. Come on. What is that harvest? The wicked. The righteous do not inherit the wrath of God. The Bible says the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. Not the righteous because the righteous are obedient. That harvest, those are the lost. Those who consistently disobeyed God. Christ is coming to destroy them. Then the harvest in 15 and 16 refers to whom? Come on, don't hesitate. The righteous, because there are only two harvests. Question then becomes, what brings the two harvests to the point of full ripeness? The three messages of Revelation 14, 6 to 12. They bring the world to a point of ripeness. Ripe for God. Finish my words. And ripe, come on, against God. You want to see ripe against God? Let's look at the seven last plagues. Let's go to Revelation 16. Look at the seven last plagues. Let's look at plague number four, verse eight. Revelation 16, verse 8. We're looking at the fourth plague to get an idea of what it means to be ripe against God. Are you there? Read with me. And the fourth angel put out his vial upon the sun, and power was given to him to him to scorch men with grape. And men were scorched with grape. Uh-huh. Come on. And did what? Blaspheme the name of God. Pause. You would think if God is doing that, the person would say, sorry. Sorry, sorry. But when you reach the point of rightness against God, not even God can change your mind. And so they're suffering the plague and they're cursing God. Blasphemous name. Let's go to verse uh, 12 of Revelation 16. What does that say? No, not Revelation 10, verse 10. What does that say? And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed. Yes, why? Because of their pains and their sores, keep reading, and repented not. We don't care what you do. We don't like you. We, we, that is rightness against God. Let me show you ripeness for God. Go to Daniel 3. The three boys have been accused of not bowing. Nebuchadnezzar is a nice man. He gives them a second chance. And, he, and they tell him in verses 16 to 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. Now, verse 18, read with me. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up, even if it means death. Those boys were ripe for God. And nothing Nebuchadnezzar could do or Satan could change their minds. That is rightness for God. The seed of the beasts, covered in darkness, they gnaw their tongues for pain and blaspheme God and repented not of their deeds. No matter what God does to someone who's ripe against him, they stay against him.
two groups. Let's go back to verse 14 of Revelation 14. And I looked and behold a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown. Now, who is that? That's Jesus Christ. He's the Son of Man. This is the same person who walked the streets of Galilee and healed the sick, opened the eyes of the blind, gave agility to limbs that were paralyzed, raised the dead, still the sea, provided food for thousands with just a little. This is the one who's coming back, not with the mitre of a priest on his head, but the crown of a conquering king. And he's coming back. Sometimes we listen and we hear words. We just hear words. Listen to me carefully. <laughs> Jesus Christ, who was born in Bethlehem as a baby, a helpless baby, born among cattle and cow dung in all that place. Hmm? He is coming back as king of kings, come on, and lord of lords to destroy his enemies. It'll be painful for him because his enemies are those whom he made. Because he's creator. I have been told that parents prefer to die than to bury their children, especially the mothers. Christ has to bury those whom he made. But he'll do it. Because he cannot permit sin to continue forever. And it is the Father's will that the wicked be destroyed and the righteous occupy this earth. The Bible says, the meek shall inherit the earth. And that day has to come. You see, God made a promise to Abraham. I will give you this land and I'll give it to your seed. Abraham is dead, but death cannot prevent God from keeping his word. And so God has to come back and raise up Abraham. And finally, fulfill his word and give him that land. Of course, when God said he'd give him the land, Paul explains in Romans 4 verse 13 that God meant the entire world. He has to keep his word. And it was Jesus Christ who spoke to Abraham, by the way. The moment Adam sinned, the father no longer engaged in face-to-face -face communication. It was all through a mediator. It was Christ who told Abraham, I'll give you this land. And he has to come to give that land to Abraham. Let's look at the first of the three messages that will bring the world to the point of ripeness against God or ripeness for God. Let me pray again. Father in heaven, and I saw, well, you should say it without looking. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying, How? With a loud voice, fear God, and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him that made heaven and earth, and the sea and the fountains of waters. Stop. That's the first message. The first angel. Let's look at what the angel said. With a loud voice. Fear God. We'll stick with fear God for now. Let's look at the very first place where the word fear enters the Bible. Let's go to Genesis 3. Let's see what God meant by fear God. Did he mean to be afraid of God? What did he mean? Genesis 3, we'll read from verse 9. 
Our subject, dress for the occasion. And if you look at how Christ is dressed in Revelation 14, 14, you understand the occasion is reaping the harvest. Destroy the wicked, establish the righteous in the new world. Genesis uh, 3, verse 9, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. That's not the fear called for by the angel of Revelation 14, 7. Fear God, that's not the fear. Now, let us go to Exodus 20. A slightly different Hebrew word for fear in this verse. Exodus 20, let's read from verse 18. In verse 17, the tenth commandment is given. Thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. They had to back up. And they said unto Moses, speak thou with us. And we will hear, let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, what? Fear not, come on, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be your faces, before your faces, that ye sin not. Now the word fear is used twice. Slightly different words for each. The first time, fear not, don't be afraid. But notice how the verse ends, for his, that his fear may be before your face. What's that? Respect. The awe. If Biden walked in now, you'd all stand up. That's the president. United States. Or if you're in China, that's Xi Jinping. Or if you're in Russia, that's Vladimir Putin or whomever. That's awe. Mm -hmm. That's what Moses said in the second fear in Exodus 20, 20, that his fear before you may be before your face, that he sin not. And the fear of God keeps people from sin. Amen. Now, go back to Revelation 14, verse 7, saying with a loud voice, fear God. Stop. You cannot fear God if you don't understand he's creator. He spoke, and the entire universe came. Now that has to amaze you. You shake your head. How did that happen? You cannot fear God if you don't realize he's absolutely holy, sinless, righteous, has never done anything wrong. You cannot fear God if you do not realize God is incapable of injustice. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. You, you cannot fear God if you're not aware he is the creator of heaven and earth. He's perfect. He's righteous, absolutely holy, and there is none like him anywhere in the universe. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Isaiah 40, verse 25. Who is a God like unto thee? Micah 7, 18. You fear that being, one of a kind. Fear God. Have respect and awe for God. And give glory to him. How do we give glory to God? I'm keeping this message very simple because it usually takes several nights to cover what I'm trying to cover. How do we glorify God? Go to John 15. Let John Jesus Christ tell you. John 15. We read 7 and 8 of John 15. Our subject, dressed for the occasion. Do you have John 15? That's the same guy who wrote Revelation, wrote John. 
And three little epistles, one, two, and three. Read with me. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Now carefully and microscopically read, Herein is my Father glorified how that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciple. How do we glorify God? We bear fruit. But what fruit? Go to Galatians 5. Let's read 22 and 23. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Well, you really should know it without going to Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, meaning there is no law against it, so there is a law for it. The law supports it, and the law is righteousness. Those fruits represent the righteous character of God, the righteous character of Christ, the righteous character of the Holy Ghost, and the character that must be found in God's people before Jesus Christ comes. Why do we say that? Because that is contrasted with 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Two completely opposite lists. One reflects Satan, the other reflect Christ, reflects Christ. Now, glorify, give glory to God by reflecting the character of God. Are you with me? And so the Bible says, fear God, understand who he is. He is the creator. You cannot emphasize the creatorship of God too much. Why do I say that at 25 minutes after 8? If Adam had never sinned, would there have been a Calvary, yes or no? No. Would there have been a need for a savior? No. No preacher. <laughs> no preacher. No Bible. No steps to Christ. Are you following me? None of that. But would there have been a creator? Yes. As long as there's a heaven and earth, someone must be there to sustain it. Are you with me? When this old one is destroyed, a new one will be made. Someone has sustained, sustained that. There has always been the creator. There is the creator. There will always be the creator. Jesus was a prophet. He no longer is. He is a priest. He won't be that forever. And he's coming back as a king and will reign that forever. Fear God. Give glory to him. Reflect his character. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. Let's look at worship quickly. Go to 1 Samuel 15. We read verse 22. Our subject, dress for the occasion. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Do you know what happened in that chapter? God told Samuel to tell Saul, go and destroy all the Amalekites. God had sworn hundreds of years later he would do that. Now it took him hundreds of years because he wanted the Amalekites to repent. God does not like to destroy. And even though he said he would destroy them from off the face of the earth, he gave them time to repent. 
He told Jonah, I'll destroy Nineveh, except they repent. They repented. He withheld the destruction. Some promises of God are conditional. The Amalekites did not repent. So God tells Saul, time to destroy them. Everyone from adults to babies, cows, birds, bats, ants, everything. Saul didn't do that. He brought back Agag, the only Amalekite, and a few nice-looking cows. He brought back Agag. Now, if, if God tells you, get rid of 10 million people, and you get rid of 9 million, just leave one alive. Have you obeyed yes or no? No. God requires what kind of obedience? Precise. What's the word I like? Microscopic obedience. And so Saul came back with Agag, the, uh, the king of the Amalekites. You know, the, New Test the Old Testament makes me smile sometimes. <laughs> the Holy Spirit told Samuel, take your sword. <laughs> well, you would if yourself is not pretty because you want to go home and have supper. But he, he got rid of Agag. Here is what God told Saul. Let's go to verse 22 of 1 Samuel 15. We continue. Dress for the occasion. What is that saying? And Samuel said what? Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Stop. We have two things in that verse. That God can like or dislike. What are the two? Obedience and sacrifice. Okay. Does God like both of them? Yes. Does he like one more than the other? Yeah. Which one? Obedience. Mm -hmm. Listen microscopically. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying? The answer is no. He prefers, come on, obedience. Because if Adam had obeyed, there would have been no need for sacrifice. Now, when you and I worship God, you see, bringing all those animals, that was worship. God said, I really am not concerned with all these animals. What I want is this. You're not bringing this. We Isaiah 1, not now, 11 down to about 17. Lord God says, to what purpose is the multitude of these sacrifices unto me? God said, bring no more fain oblations. Incense is an ab abomination to me. And incense symbolize the merits of Christ. Who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? God is saying, it was he who instituted it. But they put more focus on animals than on Jesus. Are you with me? And so God says, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. But we saw, was it last night or the night before? But Jesus says, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, that's the worship. And there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. Le mm -hmm. Go do what's right. Then come back. Obey. Then come back. So when the Bible says worship God, give me the foundation stone of worship. Give me one word. Obedience. Listen to me carefully. Those of you online in this building, if you're attending a church where God is routinely disobeyed, you're spending time, but you're also wasting it. Go to John 4. John 4. Let me show you what I mean. I don't mean to be harsh, but I have to be direct. In these last days, preachers can't be too soft. You mislead people. Do you have John chapter 4? 
Let's read 23 and 24 microscopically and tell me if God has found you. Do you have verse 23? Clearly, what does that say? But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father where? In spirit and in truth. Come on. For the Father seeketh such to. Now, God is looking for people who will worship him how? In spirit. Mm -hmm. Now, most people think they're worshiping God in spirit. But if there's no truth, it's the wrong spirit. Are you following me? Because the spirit is called the spirit of truth. Let me tell you something. Dancing is not the spirit. Shouting is not the spirit. If that were the case, go to a soccer game. Go to a football game. Go watch the Miami Dolphins. And then you have worship. Are you with me? It's the still small voice. It's that convicting voice that says, don't do that. Do th It's simple obedience to God. When the Israelites worshipped the golden calf, they were shouting and dancing and playing. And when Joshua heard it, he said, there's a sound of war. <laughs> that was the worship, war. Moses, having been closer to God, he said, no, 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 no. Those <laughs> flesh-eating vegetarians are worshipping fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters now look at that language that made heaven and earth the sea and the fountains of waters go to Revel uh, Exodus 20 for me quickly let's read verse 11 of Exodus 20 our subject dress for the occasion it's now 8.30 on the dot I said I'll release you by 8.30 give me 5 minutes Okay, <laughs> do you have Exodus 20, verse 11? Read with me, what does that say? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Read that again. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them. Now listen to uh, Revelation 14, verse 7. And worship God that made heaven and earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. Where is John quoting from in Revelation 14, 7? The fourth commandment. Worship the God who created and the God who instituted the Sabbath. As it was for Adam, that standard hasn't changed. Worship the, you see the basis of worship is the fact that Christ created. Go to Revelation 4.11 quickly before I close. Revelation 4.11 and read clearly and microscopically as we look at worship thou art worthy O lord revelation 4 verse 11 to receive glory and honor and power why for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created why do we worship god because he created for his glory his honor creation is a foundation stone of worship we worship God because he's creator. When sin is destroyed, 
and sinners are blotted out and we live in a new world the bible says it come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one sabbath to another shall all flesh come to do what worship before me in a sinless world there will be worship and we're worshiping the creator because he's no longer savior my brothers and sisters dressed for the occasion Christ is on that cloud wearing a crown, not a mitre. When he comes, there are no more opportunities for anyone to repent. The opportunity exists now, while Christ is in heaven still wearing the mitre. When he comes with a crown, all probation has closed. The door of mercy is shut. And when God shut the door of that ark, no one outside or inside could have opened it. That has a good side, a bad side. It was bad for those on the outside. It was good for those on the inside. And there's coming a time when God will say, let him that is unjust, let him be unjust still. Let him that is holy, let him be holy. In other words, you're ripe against me. I sign off on your choice. Bam. You cannot change. You're right for me. I sign off on your choice. Bam. You cannot go back to being sinful. And God has two groups that are irreversible. He destroys the wicked and establishes the righteous in this world made brand new. When he does that, you and I will see him do it. Did you hear what I said? When Christ creates the second time, we will see him do it. And if you think the sons of God shouted for joy in Job 38, 7 at the first creation, that will not compare with the redeemed shouting when they see Christ make a brand new world and a brand new heaven. And you see it. You gotta shout. Maybe do a little dance. But you do something. You can't be quiet when you see an entire world come into existence like that. With plants and animals and trees and water. Mm. Ah. We can't wait. And it's coming. Don't be so wrapped up in day-to-day -day survival. You forget this is coming. A new, a literal. Mm. It's no fairy tale. Or any other kind of tale. It is truth. Dress for the occasion. What's the occasion? Separate the wicked from the righteous. Destroy the wicked and give to the righteous what he promised Abraham. Because if any man, if he be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. What God promised Abraham, he promised you. And when Abraham gets it, you and I as his seed, including Christ. Because Christ is also a seed of Abraham. Are you with me? In his humanity, we'll all be there to receive it. How many of you want to be there? Can I see your hand? Do you really mean that? Stand up with me. Online, also make that commitment. It is coming, it is coming, it is coming. Uh, the devil will have us elevate temporal things to a position of priority and put spiritual things to a position of secondary importance. That qualifies you for destruction. God's desire is that seek ye first come on the kingdom of God and his righteousness finish the verse all these things shall be added not if you ask they'll be added 
But if you seek what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, and righteousness at a practical level is obedience. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, thank you for your word. We thank that Christ who is now a priest, he wears the mitre in a certain sense. Mercy's door is still open. But Father, you hate sin so much, you have to come and put an end to it. So that door of mercy will soon close. Father, those who are still on the outside, let them slip in quickly under the guidance of the Spirit of God, Father. Because once that door is closed, as was with the ark, no one can open it. And your decision will not be reversed. And so God, let us reflect on what we've heard tonight. Revelation 14, 6 and 7. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters let that message reverberate in us dear god and father give me the words when i get to message two and message three but for now let us leave this place determined by the sustaining power of your spirit to be ready to meet christ to be right for jesus tonight if something happens to us Take us home safely. Bring us back tomorrow, I pray. In Jesus' name, let God's people say, Amen and Amen. Before you sit, what will you take from the message? Ah, yes, sister. The king is coming. Don't be on the wrong side. Please. Yes, my brother. Ah, I have not seen or ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. First Corinthians 2, verse 9. Yes. Yes, sister. How? Repentance, by the way, repentance is present truth at every stage of the earth's history. Are you following me? Repentance is present truth all through history. Someone else, what will you take? Yes, Pastor. Seek ye first, Matthew 6.33. This is the way to live first and save yourself stress and worry. First, leave the rest to God. Somebody else, what will you take? Yes, Sister. Once God seals you on his side or against him, there's no reversing of that decision. Yes. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Somebody else, what will you take from the message? Yes, Christ will be dressed for the occasion. And that occasion will require a crown, not a mitre. He's coming as a king to conquer his enemies. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Let God's people say, Amen and Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.